Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, as usual, we're going to have our little minute on innovation and we're going to be looking at how innovation can be measured. We're also talking with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre about your role as a leader. But right now we're going to have a chat with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace about workplace bullying. Good afternoon, Greg. G'day, Julian. Good to be with you again. Yes, it's been a while since we've had a chat, hasn't it? It has indeed. And this is an interesting subject, I think. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about workplace bullying uh, these days, but you know, what, what is the definition of bullying in, in, the, in the workplace context? Mm. I guess most of us have got an idea of what bullying means so from the schoolyard or even cyberbullying. But there is now a draft, and I stress that it's a draft code of practice under the new Workplace Safety Act, and that does provide a, um, uh, a definition of bullying, the code of practices for the prevention and response to workplace bullying. And what it says is that workplace bullying is repeated, unreasonable behaviour which is directed towards a worker or a group of workers that creates a risk to health and safety. So we're firmly in the area of health and safety. And it it explains that a bit further. Repeated behaviour. For it to be genuinely bullying, it has to be persistent over a period of time. But it doesn't have to be the same behaviour all the time. It can be a range of behaviours. And it has to be unreasonable. So a, a reasonable person, having regard to the circumstances, would see that this behaviour victimises, humiliates, undermines or threatens. So it is, if you like, an objective test. It's not just a matter of perception of the the person receiving it. It's would a reasonable person seeing this happening regard it as victimising, humiliating and so on. And then there are some examples and, and they're the sorts of things you would probably expect. There's direct bullying, which is abusive, insulting or offensive language, um, spreading misinformation or malicious rumours. And probably the one that most people relate to is behavioural language that frightens, humiliates, belittles or degrades, including criticism that's um, delivered with yelling and screaming. And that's something that may strike home to a few people. Mm. Uh, there can also be things like inappropriate comments about a person's um, personal attributes or their family or the like. Or uh, one of the traditional ones, I suppose, is... Uh, harmful or offensive initiation practices, and I won't talk about the details of some mm. of those because I think most of us have heard about those. Uh, so that's that's sort of direct bullying, if you like. But there, there can be indirect bullying, which is much more subtle and is the sort of thing that can be very hurtful as well. So overloading people with work, uh, setting them standards that are unreasonably high and are unachievable, Um, deliberately excluding people or marginalising them from what's going on in the workplace, Um, withholding information that's vital for them to perform, and so on. Uh, And also deliberately setting people up so that they're disadvantaged in terms of their working hours or shifts, so they always get the the rotten end of the stick, Um, or they're denied access to leave. So those are the sorts of things that we're talking about when we talk about bullying in the workplace context, but the, the fundamental issue is it's got to be repeated, it's over a period of time, and it must be unreasonable. Now, that leads us to the issue of what is not bullying, and this is something that really frightens a lot of managers because they're worried, at, with some cause, mm. that if they try and performance manage someone, that that will be classed as bullying. Well, they might be accused of bullying, but as long as they act reasonably 
to ensure appropriate standards of performance and conduct, uh, as long as they take reasonable action to deal with unsatisfactory work performance, as, as long as they act reasonably in terms of work allocation, as long as they act fairly, then, yeah, that's going to upset and confront and hurt mm. and intimidate a worker, but as long as they're acting reasonably for a proper purpose, that won't count as bullying. I mean, there's this, this word reasonably is always coming up in the law, and I yeah. suppose it has to be tested in court at some stage. Yeah, look, there there is a growing amount of authority about when is when is activity bullying or not, and the fundamental message is as long as managers act appropriately. So if you're performance managing someone, as long as you're clear and reasonable about what your expectations are, you're clear about what it is the person isn't doing that meets those expectations, and you create reasonable targets and reasonable requirements, that that will be okay. The other thing, of course, is, well, how you deliver it. Mm. If you browbeat someone, if you yell at them, if you carry on, and I know some old-fashioned managers sometimes do Mm -hmm. that, and sometimes people just get so frustrated that they want to let fly. But if you do that sort of thing, then it's likely to convert what would otherwise be reasonable into bullying. So it's important that people act in a restrained and a reasonable manner. Now, you've mentioned the uh, Work Health and Safety Act, and uh, obviously there's some obligations under that. Mm. Can employers introduce systems to ensure that they're going to meet their responsibilities? I think if they don't, they're, they're on a hiding to nothing. They really need to have systems. Uh, I know this is probably a favourite um, hobby horse of mine and a lot of other consultants, but it, it, it is really absolutely critical because that at least partly is going to help you demonstrate that what you've been doing is appropriate and reasonable. So I guess the first and the most obvious thing is to have a bullying policy that makes clear, well, what what is bullying? What values does the business expect people to demonstrate um, that encourages people who are experiencing bullying to actually make a complaint because that's one of the big problems. Mm. People Mm. don't and Mm. then they fall off the perch. Mm. Um, And also provide contacts. Who do I talk to if, if I do feel I'm being bullied? Uh, so it's practical, so it'll work. And the next part of the practicality is, well, okay, if I tell someone that there's bullying, how will it be dealt with? How it will be investigated in an appropriate and timely fashion? Um, I think the other thing, and this is perhaps a little bit um, soft and warm, is it's really important to put systems in place that will build an appropriate workplace culture that will discourage bullying. So that's things like rewarding and encouraging positive, good, constructive behaviour and civil and respectful conduct. Um, Getting your supervisors and managers who are people who will inculcate that sort of approach, who will manage in a constructive and productive way who won't just rant and rave and yell. Um, that's easier said than done, I might add. It is, yes. Um, there's a whole, whole year's supply of programs on recruitment. Um, ensure that the expectations are communicated and are fair and reasonable, and staff know what those expectations are. Uh, and I guess from a manager's or CEO's point of view, lead by example. Mm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, I guess, is it. And I suppose that there's some warning signs out there if, if you've oh, got a, issues. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And there are a few of the things that, that you can look out for. Absenteeism. Increasing absenteeism, it may not be bullying, but certainly something is wrong. Mm. Sick leave due to stress, very good indicator of bullying, or possibly, even if it's not bullying, uh, that someone is is being forced or having to work far too hard and can't keep up, and that may not be their own fault. Um, sudden unexplained downturns in performance. Now, this is a really important one, uh, either by an individual or a group. Um, something has clearly happened here that's making things go wrong. Obvious tension or conflict between individuals. Um, but the other one, and this is a, 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 an increasing issue, is an increase in workers' comp claims mm. around mm. issues like stress and bullying. Um, they're starting to come out of the woodwork, and what we often find these days is that you'll get the two will go together. You'll get an allegation of bullying, you'll get a workers' comp claim, and you may also get a manager who's trying to performance manage someone. So the the claim becomes almost a form of um, defence, if you like. Well, thanks, thanks for that. And I think obviously the, the, the message is we've got to have systems in place. Mm, uh, definitely. And, and what we'll do is have you come back in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about uh, how we actually investigate bullying and what happens if it's the manager themselves. Ah, uh, that's a, a big problem. I'd be delighted to come back because it is something that really is worrying a lot of managers out there mm. because they feel that they can't do their job. Um, mm. There are a lot of managers out there that may feel that they're being bullied by their subordinates as well. Oh, yes. Well, well, thanks very much for your time, Greg. Thanks very much, Julian. Thank you. Greg Kerr there from Effective Workplace, helping us to understand workplace bullying. And, yes, we'll have a, a second segment on that in about four weeks' time. It's 24 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to have a chat with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre. Good afternoon, Brett. Yeah, hi, Julian. And you're on the road today. I am on the road today, yes. I'm a maintenance today. And we're going to talk about the role of the leader. And I'm, my first question was going to be who is the leader, which is maybe appropriate with the change in governments of the, or the, what's going on in the government at the moment. So, That's a pretty so, good example of what not to do. So in a business, who is the leader and, and what is their role? Well, in the one context, the leader is the, the CEO or the general manager, the person who, who heads up the business. Um, you might say that the desk where the buck stops is often the con- that context. But in a different context, there's there's lots of leaders. There can be a divisional leader. There can be a branch manager or a store manager uh, who is also in a leadership role. Uh, and then there can be next layer down in terms of a bigger organizer, a bigger business, um, a team leader who you know, in the maybe the manufacturing sector or other sectors where. Yeah, there are teams that operate together and they need a leadership role as well. So the context is there can be one, one top leader, but there could be several leaders in, depending on the size of the, of the business and the complexity of the business. Um, and then I guess their role, um, is to provide, you know, um, that overall vision and direction of what the business looking, is looking to head to, um, looking for opportunities. Uh, and, and in fact, it'd be a, a good leadership role is actually to be, open to opportunities, uh, but they need to inspire and encourage and guide whoever it is they're leading, be the whole organisation or just a small team. Obviously, communication is very important in terms of their role uh, and uh, yeah, harnessing the energy of the people that they are working with, that's really important. And also, you know, to walk the talk rather than just be 
an aloof leader uh, sitting in their, their ivory tower. They need to be people who actually walk the talk and um, and often they're people who actually lead the change management role. Uh, businesses never stay static uh, and therefore forever you know, changing. It may not be a big change, but there will always be change. So um, they're often a... Uh, one of their roles is to be a change manager. So you've mentioned quite a few qualities in there, communication, visionary and so forth. Are these natural things that people would have or can we teach them or can they learn them? A bit of both. For some people, these are natural qualities that they, they possess, that they're born with and they are brought to the fore through circumstances that lead them into a role that are able to you know, be a leader uh, as a distinct from being a manager. There are a lot of people who are managers, but they're not actually a leader at the same time. So it's a distinction between being a manager and a leader. And some people will rise to the top and actually become a leader while in a managerial type role. Uh, for other people, they don't actually have them, but they learn them, uh, and they can, and through practice, they actually become very skillful at it. So, so the question of whether leaders are born or, or made, I think, is a good question, and I think it's a bit of both. Um, if you're born with lots of natural talent but actually don't put it to good use, then you won't be the leader that you might have otherwise been. Uh, if you don't have the natural talent but you work damn hard at, at becoming a, a good leader and uh, you know, doing some professional development, doing a course, uh, then then you can become a good leader uh, even though you may not have as much natural talent as, as others. So uh, it's probably a good combination of both. And uh, you know the situation we're seeing uh, in the government at the moment with people vying for leadership. Does that sort of thing happen in business too? It does. Yeah, it does. Uh, you will find uh, that people will actually look to uh, you know, improve their position. They may be uh, disgruntled for some reason and don't think that their current leader is doing the job that uh, that they should be doing. Uh, they think they could do a better job, which is not unlike what's happening in federal parliament, I guess. In a sense. Mm. So, so it, yeah, it does happen in business, and uh, and people can uh, can jockey for positions, and when one and some people are, are quite ambitious, and uh, some people are ambitious beyond their ability, uh, and they want to get up to the top, but don't actually have the experience or the uh, ability to uh, to do it at at the level that they could mm. now. They might be in the future, but uh, so some people aspire beyond their capabilities. Uh, others. Uh, are often very modest uh, and and won't aspire. Uh, they don't have the, the, the self confidence to actually be uh, a leader or see themselves as a leader. They they often see themselves as a manager, but not as a leader. Mm. And the very important role of being a good manager is to be a leader as well. in that process. And uh, uh, and so sometimes people go, oh, I'm I'm just a manager, but they're actually mm. very good at leading at the same time. Mm. Well, thanks for your time. And uh, one of the things you mentioned was uh, being able to uh, lead through change. So next week we'll have a chat about coping with change. Okay, that'll be very good. Thank you. Bye bye. Great. Thanks, Julian. Brett Gleeson there from the Business Growth Centre, helping us to understand some of those qualities of a leader. Uh, very topical at the moment. We didn't know it was going to happen, but uh, that's the way it goes. Well, now it's time for our Minute on Innovation with Christina Sikiotis from uh, the TAFE, the Project Manager for Create and Innovate. And good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. And today we're going to have a little chat on how can innovation be measured? Oh, that's such an interesting question, Julian. And I think this week I'm going to end up posing more questions than I am delivering answers. Some organisations or companies measure according to their bottom line, which innovative ideas that went through to production improved profits. Innovation can also be measured by an increase in productivity, by better ways of doing things, by employee satisfaction. There's other people that actually question why we need to measure at all. They argue that we've become too fixated on outputs and measurements and benchmarks and we're therefore stifling innovation and creativity. 
There's various studies that have come out that suggest the younger generations have got few problem-solving skills. Everything's set out before them. I was actually reading my son's, my year nine son's um, assessment sheet the other day and it was full of directions. In order to get an A, you will. In order to get a B, you will. There was no room for creativity. He doesn't have to think or create or innovate his answers. He's just got to do his assignment. We know we're not being innovative when we're in a rut and we're doing the same old, same old and we feel a buzz of excitement when our adrenaline's surging, not too high of course, and when we're contributing and we're out of our comfort zone. Having said that, there's a lot of measuring tools and quite a few interesting articles that I'll put up on the blog, Julian, but I'll leave you with a thought. Steve Jobs, it's been said, killed more patents than he let live. He supposedly has 313 patents to his name. How would you measure the innovative spirit of Steve Jobs? That's fantastic. Thank you very much for that. And uh, next week we'll have a look at how we can involve the senior management to buying into innovation. Okay. All right. Have a good week, Julian. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiotis there from the Hunter TAFE. And how can innovation be measured? And, of course, remember she has a blog up on her uh, website there, www.createandinnovate.com.au. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've had a look at uh, workplace bullying, which is becoming more in, uh, we're more discussed, I think, is, is the word. And, of course, the new Work Health and Safety Act uh, does address it. Uh, and uh, we will have some more of that with Greg in a few weeks' time. Also, Brett Gleeson helped us with the characteristics of a leader. In a moment, uh, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, as we said, we're going to look at coping with change with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre. We'll discuss getting senior management buy-in for innovation with Christina Sikiotis and we'll have some more tips to motivate you and improve your business. I'd love your company at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week and, as Abraham Lincoln once said, that some achieve great success is proof to all that others can achieve it as well.